we would continue to receive instruction in the truth, the whole truth of the counsel of God, and through the aid of the Heidelberg Catechism. So in your bulletin insert, we have a printed out a copy of Lord's Day 7, to which we are up in our instruction. And this is the New Trinity Psalter hymnal version. I was part of the committee, that the Liturgical Forms Committee, and the Creedal Translation Committee that was assigned to improve upon the instruction, uh, or not the instruction, the, the translations, the formulations that we have now in our, in our uh, Psalter hymnals, the new Psalter hymnals. We don't have them, but the new ones. I must say that I did not agree with some of the translations that were given. And one of them I'll point out to you in Lord's Day 7, question 20, are all men saved through Christ just as all were lost through Adam? The answer given is no, only those who are saved by true faith uh, are engrafted into Christ and accept all his blessings. I didn't like the word accept. I think there's Arminian connotations of that. I prefer the old word received. They're very closely related. The one has the idea of our being receptors of the gift of faith. and That's exactly what occurs when God first gives us faith. We receive that gift. It's not like we just, well, we take it or leave it. He gives it, and it's this irresistible, wonderful gift. And accepting it is, I suppose, living out of it, but the first activity is receiving it. That's my thing, you can call it a little quibble or not, but I'm concerned for details also in translations. But now we want to talk about the doctrine, and we shall. What is true faith? This is the subject here of Lord's Day 7. What is true faith? True faith is not only a certain knowledge that everything God reveals in his word is true. It is also a deep-rooted assurance created in me by the Holy Spirit through the gospel, that out of sheer grace earned for us by Christ, not only others, but I too have had my sins forgiven, have been made forever right with God, and have been granted salvation. Then the the question, what then must a Christian believe? Everything God promises us in the gospel. That gospel is summarized for us in the articles of our Christian faith, Read beyond doubt and confessed throughout the world. And then what follows, what are these articles, are the articles of the apostolic faith. And the rest of the Lord's Day, Lord's Days are an explaining of those articles. We're going to focus on the first three <clears throat> articles here. And I want to remind you that the catechism here is following a certain procedure And having set forth the sins and miseries of humankind and also ours and how great they are, Lord's Days 2 through 4, Lord's Days 5 and following are about salvation. And specifically, in Lord's Days 5 and 6, the subject has been the Savior, Jesus Christ, 
and how he's identified as the God who is our Savior and the man who substitutes for men and who is perfectly righteous. This God who becomes man, who is the perfect Savior, is revealed for us in the gospel, Lord's Day 6 has just told us. And so the catechism has been focusing on what we might call redemption, the Redeemer and this redemption or purchase of us, the salvation of us that is accomplished in Jesus Christ. It's right there. He's the Savior. It's all we need. He's the one Savior, the one mediator between God and men whereby we must be saved. But now the Catechism focuses not entirely diverting its attention at all from Christ, but focuses on the application of this redemption. First, there's the accomplishment of it in Jesus. He's the Redeemer. Then there's the application of it to our hearts. And this is by the gift of faith. And that's the importance of this. It's by the gift of faith that this redemption is applied to us. We live out of it. Now, the catechism here is instructing us in in these things. And we can be assured, because the Bible everywhere teaches this, that we have a faithful instructor who's leading us out of the misery into the good thing, the good one, Jesus, and that good faith that God gives and that we're to live out of, that faith in Jesus Christ. We can know that the catechism is a good instructor uh, instructor because of what the Bible teaches about Jesus being our Savior and faith is that by which we're justified and live and so on. Because really, it's, it's patterning itself is the catechism after the entire New Testament. And I say this because think of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one gospel, but are called the synoptics. They put together the history of Jesus, and John is more reflective. But together, they speak of the the redemption that is accomplished in Jesus. That's what we have. But then, the next book, the book of Acts, really speaks of the application of that, that accomplished redemption in the Holy Spirit poured out. So, really, if you had those books of the Gospels and the book of Acts, you'd have redemption accomplished and applied. Well, and we think, well, what else do we need? Well, God has said we, we need more books of the New Testament. And so you have Romans and so on. And really, we can think of these as the explanation of redemption accomplished and applied. So the Gospels and the book of Acts, where this Holy Spirit is poured out and this wonderful Redeemer is is enlightened in the minds of the people, is explained by the rest of the New Testament. Well, the catechism, then, is leading us into the truth of redemption accomplished, redemption applied, and it itself is explaining to us the redemption accomplished, the redemption applied, following the whole of the New Testament and always to the glory of God. That's what we want to do now. 
We're considering at this point, very important, want to be meticulous about this somewhat, but want not to miss the forest for the trees. As we consider the redemption applied, first applied, and that would be in the book of Acts. Turn with me to the book of Acts. We're going to be considering the whole book. Well, just a little bit, but start at Acts chapter 2. That we're going to read here. We'll be referring to other passages here. But Acts 2, verse 40. Now, those of us familiar with the book of Acts know that it is a wonderful record of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and then this showing itself in the gathering of the church. In Acts chapter 2 is this historical event of Pentecost fully come. There's the signs of the poured out spirit, the, the flaming tongues of fire on the heads of people, the sound of the rushing mighty wind and the speaking in tongues of all of those of the dispersion gathered together on that Pentecost day, the feast of the harvest, to celebrate the harvest of Christ. For this is Jesus pouring out the Holy Spirit. And this is the fruit of Jesus' own redemption accomplished, being applied, and the new covenant being established. Amazing. Well, the first result of it, the first result of the, the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit is those signs, of course, but the real result that people often miss in Acts 2 is the sermon. Peter stands up, people are saying, these people, are, they're, they're drunk, it's, they're, they're drunk, they're high maybe on religion, but they're drunk with it. They're, they're enthusiasts and they're not true Orthodox Christians or believers in anything. And Peter says, no, you got it all wrong. These people are filled with the Holy Spirit. Joel prophesied of it. The last days is going to be this amazing visit of God to the people, not only in judgment, but in mercy. And sons and daughters will prophesy, and old men will dream dreams. And all of this, and it's come to pass. That's a sermon. Now the result of the sermon, the application to the souls of people, who hear now the enlightened word of the New Testament redemption accomplished and now applied. Acts 2, verse 40. Peter, reference to Peter, with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then this, this is the result of this sermon. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. Redemption is being applied to them. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. 
Thus far we read Acts chapter 2 and this whole, in the context of the whole book of Acts, which we'll take as our text this morning on this truth of faith and faith which is connected to Jesus, faith and the way. I introduced this a few weeks ago, revisiting this, so we get this right. I get it right, you get it right. We're, we're starting off in a right direction as we consider the application of the redemption of Christ. And may God use this for our being a people that gets this right not only, but lives rightly, hopefully and holily as the people of God's own redemption. Well, we want to see the truth of faith and or faith and the way. And the way, we said, and following Lord's Days 5 and 6 in the whole Bible, the way that God gives to heaven is Jesus. John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 1 Timothy 2, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, Saves all kinds of people and so on. The Bible specifically and repeatedly says that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, the way of God, the way of salvation. And he is this, our catechism has reminded us, and all eyes must be on him because of this. He is this because he's God. This is basic Christian doctrine. This is what separates us from all of the others, uh, maybe even Christians so-called, who deny the divinity of Jesus. Jesus is God, God with us. That's his name, Emmanuel, with us God, really, in the Hebrew, with us, amazing, God, not to kill us, but to love us. And his Name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, that's Isaiah 9's prophecy of this son who's given, this child who's born, Jesus. The fullness of time, it's revealed that there is a God who hasn't forgotten Israel, but he loves them. Not just the Jews, the ones with, who have the genealogy, the DNA of Abraham, but with all of God's people, every nation, tribe, and tongue, this is Pentecost, moving ahead of ourselves. Jesus is God, but with us as a man to be this God who has figured out a way to save us? No, who has eternally ordained a way to save human beings, sinners, justly by taking on their nature and taking on their sin and taking on their punishment. This is what God has ordained and this is what he's seen right, and this is what he's seen as the greatest way of showing off his glory. We're talking about that this morning. We have some interesting discussions before church on Sunday mornings. They're beautiful. I will miss them if they ever stop. About how there can be justice and how there can be mercy. Among men, how, how can that be? In forgiving, whatever else we do, and whatever else the courts are doing. And, and as a Christian, what would you do if you're the Supreme Court judge or you're, you're a policeman on the beat and you pull over somebody 
and this someone is repentant for going three miles over the speed limit and so on. What do you do? Is it about justice? Has to be, doesn't it? He's to uphold the law. Or as a Christian, should you have some mercy? Or is that compromising justice? And so we went back and forth, and we, I hope we get somewhere with those discussions, and that you do, so that there's much more of an understanding of the, the worth of the cross. Justice and mercy being met together there, the psalmist says. In the Old Testament, mind you, the Old Testament, before it happened, it was all, this word of God was all about, this revelation, this gospel of God was all about the problem of sin and God and how he's going to fix it. And it's not going to be by his compromise, but it's going to be by, about, and by his, the way that he's ordained, the way home. Where God will be God and every man still a liar, but now a saved liar, that is the elect, in showing justice and mercy together on the cross of Calvary in that God who's there and that man who's there and that God who's there who's punishing his son for our sake and that man who's there who's taking it all, not just passively but actively obeying the will of the Father who is now forsaken of the Father who loves him dearly and never had anything against him except now that he's made sin in our place. That's the way, the divine way for sinners We're thinking of hostages. If we have any ear, maybe a little bit of an ear or an eye toward what's going on in the Middle East, in the ceasefire, four-day truce supposed to express their common humanness. And there's hostages on both sides, hostages, whatever you want, prisoners. And you think of what it would be like to be a hostage in, and I'm going away now from Palestinians and Israelites, but in some theoretical prison, and some theoretical prison guard and person who's taken you. So that even... As a babe, you were taken by this hostage taker and this, this person, this power. You think of it, and you think of that babe somehow taken care of in the dark and damp cell, never saw light. Imagine how the child would develop and be somehow hurt by that bringing. And you think all of a sudden of some person coming and saying, I, I am now going to let you out. And the person wouldn't even know what that meant. As a babe, and now maybe 30 years old in this prison, never know anything, no light at the top of the prison cell at all. And nothing but the bread of some kind of basic subsistence and so on. Nothing of what it is really to be human and more than an animal. You think of that. 
And then this guy comes in and he says, I'm going to lead you out. I'm going to lead you out. Now you've got to magnify that, beloved, a thousand, thousand times. That's a million, isn't it? And you think of what Jesus, the way, has done for us. As the God who's with us, as a man, as a God who's a man, as a man who's God, our perfect redeemer. We're in that cell. And the prince of terrors, the prince of this world, the devil has us. We're born dead in trespasses and sins. And there's no light. Except some natural light, I suppose. But no real light that's going to save us and by which we're going to have any hope. And it's dark and it's damp in that cell. And we rather like it among the vermin that are there. And the other dead ones and the other corpses because many are born there. And the corpses are all over the place, and some have some flesh, but it's, it rots and so on. You think of Jesus. That's what redemption, redemption accomplished is all about, the wonder of it, that way. He leads us out. He leads us out. And he leads us up, and he leads us to the light, and he gives us water, and he gives us meat from himself. And life from himself and joins us even to himself. And this is the beauty of this way. That is Jesus. This one way. Lord, say 5 and 6. John 14, 6. 1 Timothy 2 and, and Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And all the ways that the Bible communicates to us, there's only one way. You think of this. We're actually joined to that way. That that person of the Son of God. Do you know that? And that's what our catechism reminds us of when it's explaining faith. The very first way that redemption, the redemption of Christ is described in the giving of faith is that true faith is that by which we're engrafted into Christ. Just stop right there. That means joined to him. You think of John 15. I'm the vine, you're the branches. There's people grafted into Christ. God's people are. Ingrafted. They didn't belong in that vine. They were just wild and out in the field. And, but now they, they are made to belong and, and to receive the sap and the life and the fruitfulness of that vine, which is Jesus. Amazing. And that's what redemption accomplished does for us and in us. And that's the beauty of the redemption that's accomplished not only, but also applied. What I'm trying to get at in the book of Acts. And my second point is, what is that way? Who is that way? It's Jesus. Somehow we're joined to that way. We don't become God. We don't become perfect men, but we're his, and that is what makes all the difference. But now there's a way. In addition to the way, Jesus? No. A way that is a what? A thing. And it's the way. It's called the life of faith and believing. Redemption is accomplished in the Savior, the who, 
Redemption is applied, and now there's a what? The people are put on way, way. What's this all about? Look at the book of Acts. You don't read of the word way here in Acts chapter 2 that we read, but you read of people who were joined to Jesus because they gladly received the word of the apostle. They believed it. Notice they didn't accept it. They received it. They received the word and were baptized. It was given to them. The word was given to their ears. They heard it. And they received it inside of themselves. Gladly. And there was a work of what? The Holy Spirit. No, of who? The Holy Spirit. Of who? Jesus, who received the Spirit and pours him out upon the church so that his redemption accomplished might be applied. He's not, you see, a Savior by halves. He's a Savior and he does it all. These people, they gladly receive Jesus. They're joined to the vine. And the sign of that is their baptism. The sign of that is that 3,000 souls were added to the ones who had believed already. And the sign of that is the first megachurch. 3,000 souls, but not great in number, only great in quality. Look what they did. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They were faithful to truth. Not just here is what the scripture says, but what does it mean? That's doctrine. And they continued in it, and that's the first thing, doctrine and fellowship based on the doctrine. And the breaking of bread may be a reference there to the Lord's Supper and in prayers the chief part of thankfulness, the catechism will say, Lord's Day 30, 45. And then there's fear, godly fear. It's not just a, a laughing church, as there has been in the past. A laughing church, join us, have fun. The fear of God came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles, and they all who believed were together. Isn't that amazing? Redemption accomplished, now being applied for the first time in the new covenant, makes for a togetherness. And no doubt the people thanking God for that and not doing a thing that would separate brethren. They love the peace of that togetherness as the church. They had all things in common. They sold the possessions and goods and became communist. That's what some people think. Wrong. This was a free will sharing. They divided them among all as anyone had need. And they continued. They pressed on. Local congregation in Jerusalem. They pressed on. 
They broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Everything was simpler back then, basics. And they had favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. What a picture of the church that is now filled with the Holy Spirit. Redemptions applied to that people. How pristine, how beautiful. And now we read in the other places in the book of Acts, this church is a church of, and it's called the way. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9, verse 2. Acts 9, chapter 2. Saul, at this point, his name is Saul before he becomes Paul, He breathes threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, that is, the risen Lord Jesus, the accomplisher of salvation. And he went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found anyone who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. This point in the history of the the application of redemption The Church of Christ, the religion of the Church of Christ is called a way, a way. That's amazing. And this way is called this because these are a people of the way who love the way Jesus. Note, verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Then verse 5, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Notice here, Jesus in heaven speaks to Saul on earth that when he is persecuting the body of Christ, he is persecuting Christ. And here is Jesus saying this, those people who've received my word gladly to whom I've given the spirit and faith are so connected with me that I am the way, and they are now my way. They're mine, and they're on my way, and their religion is from me. And this church is put on a path, because that's what a way is. And the path is all about Jesus Christ. The individuals on the path, and the, the church altogether is this people that is the people of the way of Jesus Christ. So they're given that name. Acts 19, verse 9, another place where the Christian religion is spoken of as the way. Ephesus, Paul's later preaching, and some men were hardened and they didn't believe. <clears throat> But, he, and, but spoke evil, they did, of the way, Acts 19, verse 9, before the multitude. And so Paul departed from them and, and went somewhere else. So there's the way being evil spoken of. Later on in Acts 19, verse 23, <clears throat> about that time there arose a great commotion about the way, the way, the Christians following Jesus and the path that he laid out for them. 
The Redeemer who accomplished redemption, now applying it to them so that there's a commotion. They're not just this peaceful people anymore. They don't have favor with all the people as the pristine church in Acts 2. But the more they get it out that there's only one way, Jesus, and it's his way or the highway to hell, the more there was commotion. And the more those who worshipped Dianas and other gods and made a living off of it, objected to this Savior who was interfering with their life, style, and wealth, and prestige. So, here's a countercultural aspect of the way. Acts 22.4. Paul defends himself before... Uh, the authorities of Jerusalem, Acts 22, verse 4, and he speaks of himself as having persecuted the way. But notice this. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering unto prisons both men and women. And so he refers once again to his infamous history. Later on in Acts 24, verse 14, in Caesarea, Paul confesses before Felix, and Felix was one who had more knowledge of the way. He knew about this way, and yet Felix was one who didn't commit himself to the way, to walk on the way. He was a man pleaser. So these are just examples of, of how the way, the, the Christian religion and the application of salvation which flows from the accomplishment of salvation, is depicted in the book of Acts, the first record of the history of the church. Well, beloved, what are some lessons from this, and what are some lessons from faith? Well, first of all, disciples of Jesus who follow the way that he is, the only way to heaven, they themselves are identified with him so much that they gladly say, yes, I'm a soldier of the way. I'm a pilgrim on the way to heaven. I'm identified with this one. I'm not concerned about my own identity, really, except that it be in Jesus. And he's a shepherd, and I'm a sheep, and he's a savior, and I'm one saved. And he's a forgiver, and I'm forgiven. And he is the way, and I'm on the way. He's joined me to himself, and I believe in him, and faith has engrafted me to him so that there's this identity, not identicalness. We don't become Jesus, but we believe in him. And as we'll see in our exposition of faith and what faith does, Christians are very often, or are very busy in their faith. They're not just engrafted just to sit there and, and to do passively nothing. But they are those who are conscious of the Savior. They know the Word of God. They live according to the Word of God. They are assured of the Word of God. They walk a certain way. That's what a way is, a way to walk. And they are those who cause a commotion. Why? Because of their focus on Jesus and of their being pious and being a sermon all by their life of how bad it is to be in the dark and how 
terribly evil is this world. Theirs is a holy way. Oh, beloved. That's what I find about this meeting of way, the way Jesus, and the way of faith. And I just want to leave you in this. The question, the piercing question from what the scripture reveals of a pristine church and then a church that was becoming battle-hardened. What's your way? A lot of people like to replicate the pristineness of the early church and then to call themselves as the way international. There's a cult that's been invented about this. Avoid it like the plague that it is. Or they like to replicate certain of the signs of Pentecost Day, speaking in tongues and healing and so on, as if replication of the foundation of the church was actually being the building of the church. No, there's only one foundation. History is history, meant not simply to be repeated and replicated, but to live, be lived out of. And we are the people, beloved, who need to think of ourselves, remind ourselves to be on the same way that that people then was. And that's the key. So we ask ourselves, are we on the way of this people that actually receive the word every single day? Not just one day, but every single day, gladly. And even through a preacher man. And you say, well, Peter's sermons were perfect. Yours aren't. True. Given. But you know, there were lots of sermons of Peter that weren't inspired, beloved. Peter was not an angel. Nor did any of the apostles pretend to be this, these pure angels from heaven when they preached. The people gladly received the word anyway because it wasn't about these men, these mere men. They aren't the way. Jesus is the way. And the amazing thing about Jesus and his grace and his Holy Spirit, for which I've prayed, beloved, that I would be anointed by the Spirit in giving this sermon to you, is that there is this connection from heaven and every time there is this amazing work of God in the word, God's people have the lights turned on and maybe you're having the light turned on in your life right now. As you ask yourself the question, am I on that way? Am I believing as they did? Am I focused on Jesus who is the way? Is this church on the same way? Believing the same thing with the same enthusiasm of the church of the early days? Are we? Are we? In our membership, each one. So very important. Each one on his knees. Each one significant. Each one finding energy from on high for every single day. Each one giving of himself and herself. Each child 
being raised in the fear of God, each family coming together as they came together with gladness and sharing everything. And then the church family coming together and sharing everything, starting with burdens and cares and joys and ordinary things. That's where it starts. And then all that you have so that there is in the body of Jesus Christ such an identity that we are those who are on the way so together that we don't want to lose anyone. We call sinners back. We call others to us because there's a magnification of the glory of God whenever there is a people that knows what it's like to follow the way all the way to the cross and then home. To the cross and then home. Are we on the way of faith? Is ours, is this church known as the church of the way, Jesus? We really live like it. And they're going to heaven. And, and they're not ashamed of the gospel. Oh, no. Not for a minute. And they look not at things seen, because when they do that, they stumble, but at things unseen, because faith is the evidence of things hoped for and the, the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. We're in this world, to be sure, lots of things going on, but joined to Jesus, we're even joined to that heaven that we seek and that hope that we have is a living hope to which we're born again and of which we'll never be ashamed. People of the way, carry on. Pursue the way. Jesus is our way. Amen. We pray, Lord, that you would bless us and help us truly to love you. Love your name. Love your way. That you are the way. And now we get to walk in your footsteps and follow you, trust in you. Believe in you with all our heart. And bear the fruit of your redemption accomplished and applied and explained and preached. God bless every one of us. There's some who will be out or out of the way. Not simply walking in step with what people say, but walking in step with God. Bring them back. Lord, help us all to know that this way is, is narrow. Few there be that find it. May we walk the narrow way, the way of the cross, way of giving glory to you. Bless us and dismiss us with your favor, joy, hope, and peace. For Jesus' sake, amen.